to share once again the words of Jesus, uh, both with me and with all of us. And uh, as we look at his Sermon on the Mount uh, this week again, we're going to be looking together at Jesus' thoughts on the Old Testament. Um, as Jesus started teaching in his teaching ministry, I think he began to realize, listen, I'm going to be saying things that uh, people haven't heard before, haven't heard emphasized before. And as a result, I need to talk about how what I say connects with what God has already said, in particular in the Old Testament. And so he begins to help us wrestle with the Old Testament and its place in our life and faith. And so we find Matthew 5, verse 17, where Jesus shares these words. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me and for me? Come, Lord Jesus, help me uh, look to you to help us understand uh, sometimes a very challenging testimony of books in the Old Testament. And Lord, help us be willing to wrestle with your word, New and Old Testament, for it is our rule of faith and practice. So come, Holy Spirit, and bless us as we look to you for this help in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, um, one of the things that the modern church is wrestling with in the 21st century is something that I think Jesus realized people would wrestle with in his own day, and that is, what place does the Old Testament have in our faith and life today? And it's become a special challenge in a lot of places to a lot of people just because there's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament that just we struggle with from a modern perspective. You know, we struggle with the moments where it seems like God wants Israel to kill everybody. Sounds an awful lot like genocide, you know. Or when sometimes in the Psalms it'll say, you know, I look forward to the day when I can dip my t toes in my enemy's blood. You know, very vengeful. And so we wrestle with these harder parts of the Old Testament and the law and all these things. And so uh, we just, oh, hold on. Is he all right? Oh, I know he passes out once in a while.
I know John has these episodes where he passes out once in a while. So is he hanging in there? That's what I thought. Okay, good. you'll join me let's just we'll say a quick prayer for john father we thank you just for john's life and faith for his joy that he brings to our community uh, lord we just lift him up to you and just pray surround him in your love just strengthen his body um, and just help him feel better and be okay uh, lord we just trust him into your love and grace and we uh, leave him into your caring hands in jesus name amen all right we'll trust as i said uh, John's in Rotary with me, and a while ago uh, we were walking around uh, one of the local companies, and uh, and he passed out there. So I, th I think this is something that it just happens once in a while, and it, it hadn't happened in church in a while, I don't think. But uh, but let's just keep him in prayer. I, I trust he's going to be okay. All right, we'll turn back to our message. Um, so Jesus realizes that uh, even in his own world, they were wrestling with his teaching and how it related to the Old Testament. And we see this in the church today. As I said, the church wrestles with some of the strange things that have pop up in the ancient world. And what we kind of have to understand is it was kind of normal stuff in the ancient world. It just doesn't look as normal to us, you know, 2,000, 3,000 years later. And uh, as I talk about this, one of the tendencies has been to kind of push the Old Testament to the side and say, well, maybe we don't need to listen to that book anymore. Uh, I think, for instance, of how in our modern day with the younger generation, you hear oftentimes about cancel culture, right? And how some, in, especially in the younger generation, when they look at our nation or look at our world, their tendency is to hone in on the bad things and the broken things and the harmful things. And as they hone in on those things, um, sometimes the, the challenge of cancel culture is they're tempted to throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, right? To kind of say, 
Well, if this is the case, we just need to get rid of everything. I think, for instance, in the term of maybe Thomas Jefferson. You know, I've heard some instances where they've tried to remove Thomas Jefferson's statue, maybe from certain particular places or that sort of thing. And Thomas Jefferson's life, for instance, is very complicated. On the one hand, without his inspiring words, we would have never had that uh, human freedom is about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That, that insight into the founding of American government. But on the other hand, he was a slaveholder, and as a slaveholder, he didn't always do things particularly well, perhaps, with his slaves. And so we live with this dual history of both good and bad, and, and some of the critique against cancel culture is, why do they always have to throw the baby out with the bathwater? And the challenge for us today with the Scripture is kind of similar with the Old Testament, should we just throw the Old Testament out and forget uh, that it's a part of our life and our faith? And so Jesus, I think, challenges us not to throw out the Old Testament. Jesus says, in fact, listen, don't think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets, and the law of the prophets represent the Old Testament as a whole. Do not think that I've come against it or to destroy it or to undo it instead he says i have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them for truly i tell you until heaven and earth disappear not the smallest letter not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished jesus here makes the case that the old testament is still important that it's important that god has given it to us and that not a single letter needs to change, not a hyphen, not a comma, not, not any of that. It needs to stay the same until the Old Testament accomplishes the purpose for which God inspired it, and that is the redemption of the universe. And until that is accomplished, the law is still an important source of wisdom and faith in our relationship with God even though there are some parts that we got to wrestle with more than others. And so I think Jesus really here is challenging us to understand the Old Testament in this way. He says, listen, I didn't come to tear it down. I came to fulfill it. What does he mean by that? I think what he means is, listen, the Old Testament brought us so far. It brought us as far as it could with the Ten Commandments, with the other commandments, with the law, the prophets, with the idea of what justice and fairness looks like for the least and the last in the community. The Old Testament brought us as far as it could, but I have come to complete the rest that, that wasn't finished yet. I have come to give you the rest of the story that it could not tell you or show you or take you to what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus sees his life, his death, his resurrection, and his teaching as a source for us of faith and growth that helps us with the Old Testament scriptures. And so he challenges us even further. In verse 19, he says, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of the Old Testament commands and teaches others accordingly they may get into the kingdom of heaven, but they will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. 
And for those that embrace and teach these commandments, uh, they will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so he shares with us that he still sees an importance in the role of the Old Testament. You see, because without the Old Testament, we would have never gotten to Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? The Old Testament is the one collection of writings on the planet that moved us away from polytheism, the belief in many gods and many deities, to the belief in one God who created all things. The scripture in the Bible, the Old Testament, is the only source of that transformation from polytheism to monotheism. It's the only source in our lives um, that was to guide us in terms of how our relationship with God would look like. In the ancient world, if you wanted to be blessed, what you tried to do is you tried to do certain magic or give certain offerings or do certain things that would make the gods in the ancient world happy. And if you made the gods in the ancient world happy, well, then they might bless you with good crops or they might bless you with lots of kids or they might bless your family in some way, shape, or form and give you wealth. But to do it, you had to use the right incantation or you had to pray the right prayer or you had to give the right offering. And if you didn't do it exactly right, well, then you've blown it. And the capricious gods would then, you know, zap you or something like that and just bring misery to your life. And it's the Old Testament that says, no, 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 that's not how a relationship with God works. A relationship with God works in a way where you learn to walk with the Creator. And as you walk in faith, trusting in Him, the Creator guides you in your path. And in that path, there is the opportunity for great blessing if you'll trust Him. And if you'll obey him. And so this, these things the Old Testament accomplished, uh, that, that's the foundation of, of kind of all the guidance we have that later comes through Jesus. And so the question we have to ask is, well then how do I wrestle with an Old Testament that has some parts that sound really strange to modern ears? And here's sort of two keys I want to give you with that today. The first key that Jesus points to, if Jesus fulfills the Old Testament, if he fulfills the law and the prophets, then the best way to interpret the Old Testament is through the eyes of Jesus, through the heart of Jesus, through the teaching of Jesus. That is, whenever Jesus teaches about something in the New Testament, that trumps anything that came before in the Old Testament. Because he takes the Old Testament and says, you've heard that it has said this, but I tell you, that's not quite all of it. Instead, you need to do this too. Jesus isn't saying the first is wrong. He's saying the first doesn't go far enough. And so now I'm going to give you, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. Right? And so if you, as you read your Old Testament, you've got to read it through the lens of Jesus' teaching, through the lens of his heart, through how he treated people, and all those other things. And when you begin to do that, a lot of the complications in the Old Testament begin to make a lot more sense. Now, a second way to look at this is through our teaching of the church and how the church has understood it. And, 
And in the Methodist church, we have clear teaching on the Old Testament that comes out of our doctrine, Article 6 on the Old Testament. This is what it says. It's, it's an old language, so I'm going to try to update it as much as I can. The Old Testament is not contrary to the New Testament, for both in the Old and New Testament, everlasting life is offered to humanity by Jesus the Messiah, who is the only mediator between God and man, being both God and man. Wherefore, you're not to listen to those who feign to begin that the old fathers of the Old Testament only looked for uh, transitory, that is, short-term promises. Although the law given from God by Moses as touching ceremonies and rites, the law from Moses touching ceremonies and rites does not have any binding on Christians, nor ought the civil precepts of those necessarily be received in any nation, Yet notwithstanding, no Christian whatsoever is free from the obedience of the commandments which are called moral. No Christian whatsoever is free from obedience of the commandments which are called moral. So what does our doctrine kind of say? It says this. It says, listen, some of the Old Testament stuff has to do with ritual, has to do with the, the Jewish faith in particular, and really doesn't have a big moral component anymore. Or if you see the moral component, you can have the moral component and you don't have to offer animal sacrifices. You don't necessarily have to eat kosher. You know, you can still eat barbecue or shrimp. You can do some of that stuff because that had to, more to do with cleanliness or health than it had to do with, uh, with the moral life. But it says, when you read in the Old Testament the wisdom, the teaching, the truth, that is moral in nature, you need to listen to that moral component and you need to try to learn from that moral component and obey that moral component. And so that's the guidance that the church has kind of been in as we still look to the Old Testament for guidance in terms of figuring out what is good, what is bad, what's right, what's wrong, and all those kinds of things. And God still uses his Old Testament in many ways and in many lives. I was thinking about a guy, I was reading his testimony several weeks ago. Um, he was a rock star, you know, in the kind of 80s, 90s. And uh, he loved playing music. He loved sort of the rock star scene, right? Sex, drugs, rock and roll, all that kind of stuff, alcohol. And he just kept living that life and living that life, kind of like Robert Moore. It finally tore him up. And one day he had his girlfriend at the time who later became his wife begin to talk to him about, you got to quit this. Not only do you got to quit it, you need Jesus and his help to help you move into a new direction. And uh, so as he began reading the Bible again for the first time, maybe in a long time, he began to read in the Proverbs and how in the Proverbs, it, a lot of Proverbs will talk about don't let alcohol run your life and ruin your life. Alcohol is a mocker, you know? And so he began to hear that and that began to convict him. I have allowed drugs and alcohol to kind of take charge of who I am and I don't want to do that anymore. And, and Robert Moore was the same way. But it's the words of the Proverbs, the wisdom of the Old Testament that began to say, you know what? You can be different. You can be a new person. You don't have to let alcohol and drugs be in charge of your life anymore. 
That's what the power of the moral wisdom of the scriptures continues to do for our lives. And so Jesus says, you know, continue to learn from the Old Testament, at least the parts that make clear sense, you know, then embrace it. And so he concludes by saying, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now I want to tackle that, that scripture last because um, I don't know if that's ever tripped you up before. You think, oh my goodness, how can I get my righteousness better than the highest religious people of Jesus' day? And we're going to tackle that, but let me just give you real quickly um, some excerpts as to how Jesus helps us view the Old Testament through new eyes. All right? First, as Jesus teaches here, and in the lessons we'll look at in the weeks ahead, whenever Jesus interacts with the Old Testament, he never lowers the moral standard. If anything, he often raises the moral standard to a higher level. And in particular, this is what it often looks like. A lot of the moral standard of the Old Testament has to do with not doing bad things. Don't go out and murder anybody today, right? Don't commit adultery. Don't tell lies. You know, don't do those bad things. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. That one I think we have a real hard time with. I know I probably would. But Jesus takes that don't do bad stuff and says, listen, that's not where it starts. You've heard it said don't do bad stuff, but I tell you it's your heart that is what you're wrestling with. You see, murder doesn't start with shooting someone. Murder starts with having an angry heart and a bitter heart and a heart filled with hatred and then something snaps and you flip over the edge. If you can't allow God to help you with your heart's anger first, then you're going to be in trouble later. And same with adultery. You know, it's not the act of adultery, but it's where your heart was. Where your heart was leading you that got you into trouble. If you can keep that heart in a healthier place, you'll never be tempted to be unfaithful to your spouse. In all these things, Jesus takes the law to a higher moral level and he takes an outside bad thing and says, listen, the real issue is not just the bad thing. The real issue is how is your heart? If your heart is an ugly mess, then we've got a job to do. You need a heart transplant today. And that is the principle that Jesus lifts up from the Old Testament. Then the third in the Old Testament, when you do see the ritual, when you see the ceremonies that the Jewish people embraced, like eating kosher or like the offerings, the thing we're supposed to understand is Jesus came to fulfill all that peace. The Passover lamb that they slayed when they were about to leave Egypt, Jesus became our Passover lamb to cover us with his grace and to forgive us of our sin. The sin offering, the guilt offerings, and the, all the other offerings of the ancient sacrificial system were to point us that we need something to pay the price for us because we cannot pay for our own sin. 
And once Jesus came and on the cross paid the price for your sin and my sin, then we're clean. We're forgiven. We're free. And so we don't need to sacrifice animals at the altar here 2,000 years later. But it's all because Jesus was willing to be God's perfect lamb sacrificed from the foundation of the world for us. So a lot of the ancient Jewish religious cultural system, Jesus fulfilled. And so that's why the emphasis is no longer there. Then finally, Jesus also um, softened the physical punishments of the law. You know, in the ancient texts, if a, a son cursed his parents, you were supposed to take that child out and kill them and stone them for their disobedience. But as we look at Jesus' life and how he did ministry, we see from him not judgment, but he saw in every human being not an opportunity to kick him out or kill him or to stone him. He saw an opportunity for redemption, an opportunity to invite them home, an opportunity for them to repent and change directions and find a second chance like we want to offer the men through Disciple House. And so when you go back and read all the harshness of the judgments and punishments of the Old Testament, Jesus doesn't want us to listen to that part as much anymore. Instead, we're to move toward mercy and grace. And so in all these ways and in, in others, uh, whether it's the moral cleanliness laws that teach us how to, how to eat the right things and, and uh, interact in life with the right things that were practically pretty darn good health-oriented in the ancient world, Today, the cleanliness laws represent for us a way to be spiritually clean. How do we not just keep our bodies clean? How do we keep our hearts clean from sin? All these are ways that Jesus transformed how we looked at, how we apply the Old Testament. I had a New Testament professor. He's still around. I think he's still teaching at Asbury. Uh, and he, he had this saying. He would say, what Jesus is trying to teach us is to put the emphasis on the right syllable. Jesus is trying to teach us how to put the emphasis on the right syllable. That was Dr. Ben Witherington III. You can still Google him. You'll find him teaching on the internet. And that's what Jesus came to do. That's what he talks about here. He says, listen, yes, you have the Old Testament, but the Pharisees and Sadducees and all these religious leaders, they've been putting the emphasis on the wrong syllables. And I'm here to, to kind of finish things in a way so that when you read the Old Testament, you can begin to put the emphasis on the right syllables. You can begin to look at it the way God wants you to look at it and to interpret it in a way that will be a blessing for you of wisdom in your relationship with God and others. And so this brings us kind of the last piece. Well, how in the heck are we supposed to have a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law? Well, the solution, the answer to this, Matthew gives us in the teachings of Jesus. So your homework is to go home and read Matthew chapter 23. And you will see in Matthew chapter 23 that when Jesus looked at the heart of the greatest religious leaders of the day, of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, what he saw in their hearts. 
Yes, they could look good on the outside. They could look upstanding and righteous. They looked like they were prosperous and God had blessed them. God had given them everything. But when Jesus looked on their hearts and at the inside, what he saw concerned him greatly. And so he challenged the Pharisees, he challenged the Sadducees and the, and the, the lawyers of the day and said, listen, guys, on the outside you look beautiful but you're nothing but whitewashed tombs. Because on the inside, there's nothing but darkness and a greed for more that's not yours and a desire to have extra stuff and be more well-respected and more proud and more privileged than anybody else around you. And that's not the way of the kingdom. And so for us today, in the same way, if our righteousness is to surpass the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, it starts with the Beatitudes. It starts with being poor in spirit, being meek, hungering, thirsting for righteousness, being merciful and pure in heart, being a peacemaker. It starts with checking our heart and saying, God, my heart is a mess. I don't have any clue how to fix it. But you gave me this heart, and I believe you can clean it, and I believe you can make it better. And so today, Lord, would you come and do that for me? And would he do that for you? And that is what the Old Testament means for us. May it not be a book that we lay aside and throw it out with the baby in the bathwater. May we instead embrace that it still has lessons to teach us, if we'll listen. And we can learn both from the good parts of it and the hard parts of it, of how much our world has changed since that day. And if our world has changed that much, guess who had the biggest hand in changing it? Jesus and the church. And that's what we're to continue to be and do today. So let us continue to follow Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Can you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you um, again just for blessing us and being with us today. Lord, some of the Old Testament is, sounds like a mess. And it's easy to read it for the first time and think, what is that? And that's okay. Because Lord, oftentimes we'll also hear your voice through the Old Testament and how you walked with Abraham and how Abraham trusted you with everything most of all, his most precious one and only son. And we can learn from Abraham. We can learn from Isaac. We can learn from Moses. We can learn from Elijah and Daniel and so many others of what it means to follow you. And so, Lord, help us not throw the baby out with the bathwater, but instead, I pray, help us learn the wisdom, not just of right things to do, but of a right heart that's offered to you in faith. Through your help, Lord Jesus, and in your grace we pray. Amen.